Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. That's not the apostle, that's John the Baptist. To be baptized by him. Now John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said, let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting that we will fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. He was immersed. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending. It says like a dove. It doesn't say it was a dove. Dove's a symbol of Calvary. But it was like a dove. Coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, and this is the first voice from heaven in 400 years since Malachi, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then, chapter 4, verse 1. If you still have a Bible, you can circle, circle it. If not, go out and get one of these ESV, $5 journaling Bibles, something you can write in. Circle, then. Then, Mark says, immediately. Immediately upon Jesus' baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I guess he was. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, second time in the Bible, Satan quotes the Bible, Psalm 90, he shall command his angels to have charge over you, and in their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms, the economies of the world, uh, maybe through all time and all of their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. Verse 11 says, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I like what Luke says. Uh, And Satan left him for a more opportune season, right? This is the first temptation of Christ. It's not the last temptation of Christ. So um, we're going to look at temptation today. Anyone ever been tempted? Just a little poll. Anybody ever feel tempted? Yeah, yeah. Temptation is a part of the Christian life, right? So today in the Christian world, we hear a lot about the Holy Spirit, and that's good, right? My entrance into the church was via the charismatic movement. Uh, I'm filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, led by the Spirit. I'll take as much Spirit as I can get, right? That's all good stuff. However, there is an error I think we have to be careful uh, that we don't talk about or that we don't believe, and maybe if you're young in the faith you might believe this, that if you're led of the Spirit, if you're involved in spiritual disciplines, if you pray, if you fast, and and, and you're doing all the right things that somehow you will be immune to suffering, trials, and temptation, okay? And I'm so thankful for Matthew here as he brings this out, that Jesus 
at the height of a significant spiritual moment, right? His baptism, where the heavens open, the Spirit of God. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit falls upon him, that immediately he's led into the wilderness. And this is counterintuitive, right? You know, we, we look at this and we think, oh my gosh, to be led of the Spirit means to be led from comfort into discomfort, from the cleansing waters of baptism to the parched uh, desert of temptation, from joy to weakness, from baptism to battle. And yet I think the reason Matthew records this is because it sets us up for this is the Christian life. The day you accepted Jesus Christ, you entered into a battle, and the battle is daily. The battle's every day. There's the world, there's the flesh, there's the devil, there's an evil one. This is the battle we're in. Uh, sometimes um, when we have these wonderful experiences like baptism, you know, we had over 250 baptisms this summer, and we have men's retreats, women's retreat. Next week is the fall retreat. Teenagers are going to have an encounter with God, but then they have to go back to school. And sometimes during these moments, these mountaintop experiences, I will say to people, look, don't be surprised if things get worse before they get better. Have you ever led someone to Christ and they accept Christ and then you're calling them like every day? Because you know the kitchen sink's coming at them, right? All of hell is being loose. Charles Spurgeon coined a phrase that I think just, just nails it here. Dead men don't wrestle. You know what he meant by that? The Bible says when you're spiritually dead, before Christ, you know, the lights aren't on, right? You're a sinner. You're of the flesh. You're just doing what sinners do. So uh, it's 9.35, right? And uh, they're already tailgating down at the link today for the Eagles game, right? Carousing, cursing, getting drunk. Uh, maybe fornication. Uh, nobody's wondering if this is sinful. Nobody's wondering, should we be doing this? Sin or sin, that's what they do. But when you accept Christ, there's this new sixth sense. The lights are on. You have spiritual ears, spiritual highs. All of a sudden, the warfare intensifies because you are aware of the battle that rages around us. Jesus plunged into the battle. All of man all of God taking our place. So we're going to look at temptation. The Bible says we should be uh, aware of the wiles of the devil. And yes, I quoted the King James because I love that word, the wiles of the devil. I had a young woman come to me one time. She was newly saved. She said, Pastor Bob, I was reading the Bible. What, what are the wails of the devil? I'm like, no, no, that's the wiles. Remember Wiley E. Coyote from Roadrunner, right? So the wiles are the schemes of the devil. We'll stay with football uh, for 200, Alex. So um, last week, the opening of the NFL season, right? Uh, some teams won. Uh, quarterbacks had great weekends. Here's the problem. That's all on tape now. So offense and defense coordinators break down that tape, and they scheme now. They have schemes against those quarterbacks, against those teams. The devil has a scheme for you and me. And by the way, his scheme is easy. He's been doing it for centuries. He lies. He lies to us. He lies to us about God. He lies to us about how we're made, the, the love of God. He just continues to lie to us. And here's why, because it works. Because we're prone to believe it. So we're going to walk through what temptation looks like. But before we do, I want to focus on Jesus' baptism. So baptism is a Christian idea, right? 
go into all the world, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Jews don't baptize people. Now, what the Jews believed in was a ceremonial cleansing. They were really big on this. And so in the temple, there was a laver, and the priest would wash their hands. And uh, some Jews had mikvahs. I think we have a picture on the screen for you. Uh, women actually, during the time of their menstrual cycle, would walk in and wash here. Remember the Pharisees would come to Jesus and say, how come your disciples don't wash their hands? So the idea in Leviticus is that the Jews were separate and apart. They were holy, and this cleansing was a part of this. John is presiding over a, a revival. Uh, there's been 400 years of silence, and now people are coming from everywhere to be baptized in the Jordan. Jesus said, of all men born of women, no one was greater than John. And I look at John and I think, well, what made John great? There was nothing we would describe greatness to, right? You know, John never performed a miracle. We have no recorded sermons. All of his disciples left him for Jesus. Uh, the guy would have never made it in today's church, right, with preachers and sneakers, right? He doesn't dress right. He doesn't look right. He's got the beard going. But he's got grasshoppers and honey in it, right? Wouldn't play today is the idea. The Bible says the word of God came to John in the wilderness. His father was a priest. He was to be a priest. He turned his back on that. He goes into the wilderness, and the word of God comes to him. One commentator said the word of God came to John because it could go nowhere else. Couldn't come to Rome, couldn't come to Athens, couldn't come to Jerusalem, couldn't come to the temple. The ten, you know, the priests were corrupt, old wineskins. And the eyes of the Lord look to and fro, and just like God finds Mary and Joseph in Nazareth, he finds John in the wilderness. Campbell Morgan said, he came with no new theology. He came with no philosophy to discuss, no cult to introduce. He didn't come to ask men to consider a position or to reject it. He came with a thundering voice of inspiration. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your ways, for the king has come. And it's a bona fide revival. People are coming from everywhere. They're being washed. They're being cleansed. They're repenting. Now, John knew who Jesus was. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his fleshing floor and gather wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So one day, Jesus comes to John, and Jesus is about to be baptized, and John says, time out. No way. This can't happen. Can't be done. I need to be where you are. You need to be where I am. You baptize me. Now, does anyone wonder why John, if he knew Jesus was the Messiah, remember he leapt in his womb uh, when his mother was pregnant. If he knew this was the Christ, why the objection? Because of everything I just said. Baptism is for sinners. When you and I get in a baptismal pool, we are standing before the public saying, I identify with Christ, I'm a sinner, I need salvation. It's a picture of what happens inwardly. John is saying, you don't need this, you're not a sinner, you were virgin born. Jesus said, look, let's go with it today to fulfill all righteousness. What was he saying? Jesus was demonstrating, before he had done one act of ministry, 
that he had come to take our place. You see, when we think of Jesus taking our place, we think of the cross, right? That he did something for us we could never do for ourselves, and that's true. But it begins right here where he identifies with sinners. He's numbered with transgressors. He who knew no sin walked in to the waters of baptism because his entire ministry as a great high priest was to take our place for what we deserve. And it begins right here at his baptism. Now two wonderful things happen. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And when you see that, you think lovey-dovey Holy Spirit, right? You think peace. This, whoa, this white dove has fallen, right? Um, uh, but Jews don't think that way. Jews think sacrifice. If you, if you couldn't afford a lamb, you would bring a turtle dove. So the dove was for sacrifice. So that's part of the equation here. And then the voice of God, this is my son, the father's voice, in whom I'm well pleased. When was the last time any dad said to his son in this room, you are my son, in whom I'm well pleased? And, and listen, the father said it before Jesus had done anything. 30 years, carpenter, 30 years living an ordinary life. Never opened a blind eye, blind ear, no miracles. This is my son. And man, am I pleased in him. You know, my son preaches here in Ardmore from time to time. And every time he does, uh, when I come back, people are like, look, we don't want you to go anywhere, but we really like Mike. <laughs> and uh, they're like, you must be so proud. And I say, you know, I'm really glad Mike's using his gifts. I like to see all people use their gifts. But Mike's my son. That's what I'm proud of. And by the way, I'm proud of a hundred things you'll never see. Proud of his generosity, his kindness. But he's my son. I remember laying in bed with my children when they were sleeping. And you look at their freckles and you look at their hair. And, and they're yours. And, and, and you're pleased with them before they've done anything. The reason I bring this up is because I think God believes the same of you and me. I really do. I, I, I think I can make, make the case that God says the same thing of you and me. Remember the scene in heaven that Job could never see? When Satan comes before God and Job's bragging on him, he says, if you consider Job, there's none like him in all the land. See, we can't see God bragging on us. And one of the reasons I think that you know, God thinks the same thing of us it's because the Bible tells us that God is love. First John, right? It's the essence of who he is. What that means is there's never a time where God's not loving. God is love. You know, it's like this 401 love theology that's very hard to understand. So if God is love, we would think we would see the word love all throughout the Bible, and we do. But what has always been strange to me is how long in the Bible it takes to see the word. Because in Genesis 1, 2, 3, as we go through the chapters, we have weddings, funerals, births. We have all the things where love is talked about, and yet the word's never used. The Bible doesn't say God loves creation. He doesn't love Adam and Eve. He doesn't love, you know, it's never used until we get to Genesis 22. Abraham, take thy son, thy son that you love, and take him to a particular place and offer him there as a sacrifice. Abraham obeys. The angel stops him. And says, now God knows what's in your heart. And God provides a ram. And God says, I'll provide myself a sacrifice. So true love isn't, can I get my locker open in high school? True love isn't, bad things aren't happening to me. True love is always about a father's love for an only son. 
and a sacrifice at a particular place. That's why the logic of the cross is true love. If God didn't withhold his best, how will he not freely give us all things? When's the first time love appears in the New Testament? Right here, Matthew. This is my son that I love, a father's love for his son. What about Mark? Same place. Luke, the same place. There's only one of ten events in Jesus' life recorded in all four Gospels. Only one of two aren't part of the death and crucifixion and resurrection. What about John? John records the baptism, but not the voice of God from heaven. First time the word love is used in John is God so loved the world. He loved you and me that he gave his son, that we might be his. As many as called upon him, they were called to be sons of God. So this is the love of God. You are already pleasing to God. Some of you need to hear this because you're type A, you're eight on the Enneagram, you're an achiever, you're, 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 you're thinking if I do this, I'll please God if I do this. Yes, God is pleased by certain actions, but he's intrinsically pleased. The love of God, if you're a Christian, is the banner over us. We are the apple of his eye. So Jesus armed with the spirit of God and the word of God enters in the battle. Same things that you and I have. Same armor. Spirit of God, word of God. So very quickly, I want to give you four truths about temptation. Most of them are review. Hopefully it helps someone. First truth is this. God is not the source of your temptation. Can we get rid of that? Anybody remember Candid Camera with Alan Funk? Yeah. So you ready for this? I actually saw his daughter speak at a conference. Uh, you go on TED Talks and all, she's, a, she's the real deal today. But she shows a lot of old clips, and it's cool. So in Candid Cameras, the first reality show, right, in the 70s, uh, there was a setup, right, and cameras were hidden. And sometimes we feel like God is that way, like God puts $20 on the boardwalk with an invisible string <laughs> to see if you will pick it up, and then he's, you know, he's going to, feel ill of you, right? Sometimes we think that of God. Uh, nothing could be farther than truth. James said, blessed is the man who remains steadfast or endures under trial. The word trial and testing are the same. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here it is. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Why? God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Can we close the book on that? So where does temptation come from? Well, very easy. Here it is, textbook. Temptation comes when each person is enticed by his own desire. Uh, lured away. You know those fishing lures? You know, there, there's something enticing you. There's something you've meditated on. Each person, there's desire within us. is led astray. And then in just textbook here, it says, you know, desire leads to sin, and sin, you know, full-born leads to death. It just always plays out that way. So God is not the source of temptation. Well, Pastor Bob, it says Jesus was led into the wilderness. He was led into the wilderness. He wasn't led into the wilderness because he needed to be tempted to prove God's love. That's not why he was led there. Um, it's very nuanced here. It's hard to understand. I'm not going to pretend I know all of it. Here's where I've landed in all the years I've followed God. 40 days led, 40 days tempted. 
40 days led, 40 days tempted. See, I don't need to figure it out. Some people say, well, what I'm going through, is it spiritual warfare? Is it a trial? I'm like, does it matter? Does it really matter? 40 days left, 40 days tempted. There's a God leading me beside still waters. He's leading me through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm led by the Spirit of God. And if, and if I'm led, then when I'm in temptation, he's there with me. Jesus led into the wilderness to be tempted, listen, of the devil, the evil one. He has many names, Satan, Lucifer, the accuser of the brethren, our adversary. And I know in our modern world, to believe in the devil, people are like, you got to be kidding. You really believe in the devil? 90% of Americans believe in the devil. And if you wonder why, look around. <laughs> look around. Last week, we celebrated 9-11. Go back and look at the pictures. I was there two days after 9-11 with the Billy Graham team, walking firehouse to firehouse. It looked like a dystopian movie. Dark, papers blowing everywhere, the smell of flesh and jet fuel and steel. You could almost smell evil. Holocaust, 80 years ago. Six million people put in ovens. We can go on and on and on. And you either got to believe very low of man <laughs> or something stupid like survival of the fittest. I said this last week, survival of the fittest. Yes, a lion eats a gazelle. He doesn't eat all the gazelles, right? Evil. Luke, in his account of this, uses a personal pronoun 11 times in 13 verses for the evil one, for the devil. Evil is a person. It's not a force. It's not yin-yang. Evil is intelligent. There's principalities. There's powers. There's rulers in dark places. C.S. Lewis nailed it when he said, we can make two equal and opposite errors when we talk about the devil. To believe too much in him or... Too little. Too much or too little? Well, the devil made me do it. Or a devil, you got to be kidding, it's 2021. Jesus said, I saw Lucifer, the devil, fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus certainly believed in him. The world, the flesh, and the devil is the source of our temptation. God doesn't tempt anyone. Second truth about temptation is you need to understand the schemes of the devil. Now, let's go through the temptation, right? He's a liar. Jesus said when he lies, he lies from his core. And we only see Satan speak three times in Scripture. Every time he speaks, he's either accusing God the man or man to God, right? He tells Eve, did God really say you can't eat of this tree? you got to be kidding. You're not going to die he was right, by the way. She didn't die. She died spiritually and she died physically a long time later. But God knows the day you eat of this, you're going to be like God. You're going to know good from evil. Isn't that great? Now, love demands a choice. But God didn't give them one tree and one tree over here. God gave them an abundance of trees. And like a loving parent, God restricted one because love does demand a choice. And Satan was right. She bit of that fruit. And she became the arbiter of good and evil. And look where we are today. Instead of two genders, we have 50 genders. And we can go on and on and on. Jesus has heard the voice of heaven. 
This is my son. I'm well pleased. Now here's the voice of the devil. It's how quick it can turn. Like that. Fiery dart. And look, there's no red devil in the wilderness. Everybody know that? I know Jesus is a spiritual being. He's also a physical. There is no red devil with a pitchfork having a conversation with him. See, the attacks are on the mind. The fiery darts come. Do you ever have two fiery darts come? I haven't. I was just wondering if you did, but, you know. It's through the mind, right? How about this? You're the son of God. Did you hear that? Your baptism, you're the, you're the son of God. Since you're the son of God, if, since, same word, you've been fasting for 40 days, why don't you turn this into a bakery? See, Satan can't do that, right? He's a created being. He can't, he can't take stones and make them bread, or I think he would have. You're the son of God. You shouldn't be like this. So to us, it's like, you're, you're, you're a pastor? You're, you're a Christian? Why are bad things happening? Why, why don't you have the house with the cul-de-sac? The temptation here was that somehow God was withholding, that God's love isn't grand enough. And when God's love isn't grand enough, we can make it on our own, see? The temptation is use your powers to do for yourself what God's certainly not doing for you. And I'm amazed how Christians say they love God and they follow God and they got this, you know, get out a jail card in their back pocket, they're ready to play when things don't go well. Jesus, he doesn't take the book out on spiritual warfare. He doesn't do a seven-hour drive-out-the-devil chant. He does what you and I can do. He quotes the word of God from Deuteronomy. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was the Old Testament. That was the word he just heard at his baptism. Now, the second temptation. This is the pride of life. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Hey, you're the son of God. Here's what we need to do. Go to the temple. Throw yourself down. Everybody's there. The angels will catch you. And my gosh, you'll be off to a running start. All of Jerusalem will follow you. All the anguish of the Sadducees, Pharisees, forget it. Everybody's looking for a sign. Your ministry will be off the charts. By the way, you notice how Satan gets into the game. Jesus quotes the word of God and Satan says, oh, you, you, you want to quote the word of God? Okay, jump off the temple and Psalm 90 says the angels will bear you up. If you like quoting the word of God, here's the word of God. See, this is what goes on in our mind, right? You ever go through that? You're, you know, there, there's some kind of temptation, something's enticing you, and you start running all these verses to see if you can support something? <laughs> well, you know, uh, they don't pay me enough at the office, so? Or maybe a pastor says, well, we deserve a double portion, The lie here, and it's grand, and many have fallen for it, was for Jesus to do something spectacular, and then God would be pleased. 
Man, if I could just do something great for God, man, would he be pleased. See, the concept of a father comes down from heaven. It doesn't go the other way up. Maybe you had a father that was only pleased when you did something. You need to have a concept of the father that comes down from heaven. He's already pleased. You're already his son. And again, for the type A people, look, faith works. It's wonderful to go out and do things. But he's already pleased. Uh, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy again, you know, we don't tempt the Lord our God. And you tempt God when you run out and do things he's never asked you to do and then ask him to bless it, right? I like what Bono said, find out what's blessed and go do it because God's already there. One time we were sitting around the table, I was leaving for a mission trip in a conflict area and my family, older family was talking about what would happen if I died? And my youngest daughter said, well, daddy will never die. He's the pastor. I'm like, wait a second. Whoa. Remember Gideon with the fleece, right? Christians do this all the time. Well, I'm going to go minister here. Well, isn't that a really bad neighborhood? Yeah, but I'm doing it for God, so I'm protected. Really? Jesus told the disciples, take no sack, take no knife, take no money bag, right? Next time he says, take a knife. Now, if God's calling you to a conflict area and that's a true calling, then go. But don't put God to the test. The third temptation is the most deadly in my mind. Especially in our culture, especially 2021, the kingdoms, the economies of the world. For our materialistic culture, this is the one that gets us. Shortcuts. See, you and I have shortcuts. We don't have to take up our cross daily and follow God. We don't need spiritual disciplines. We can work most things out in an American economy. Money solves a lot of problems. Warren Wearsby said, there are no shortcuts to the will of God. Now, you can get things done. You know, the Bible says that a man went and he sowed seed in a field. He, he labored by day, he slept by night, the field grew, and there was a great harvest, right? Everything worthy of growth takes time. When something grows overnight, something of man is there. You could throw money at something and see it grow, even in ministry. You can use effects is the idea, but it's not true growth. Because true growth is organic. There's no shortcuts to the will of God. There's no shortcuts financially. I was reading a book by a billionaire, and um, he said he was out to lunch one time, and he had lunch with a gentleman, took this gentleman months to get a lunch with him. He said, look, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. Just give me the best financial book to read. And he said, the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> Compound interests over time. Bible tells us to look at the ant. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts to sexuality. Pornography is a shortcut. Affairs are a shortcut. There's no relational shortcuts. There's no, rela there's no shortcuts to community. No one's going to craft a community for you is the idea. See, this, this stuff is all daily. Jesus said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only, and listen to this, and only him shall you serve. Satan left that one out. Serving God. It's not just bowing down, it's serving 
The third truth about temptation is God always makes a way of escape. That's good news. The gospel's good news. Isn't that good news? 1 Corinthians 10, look at it sometime. There's no temptation that's not common to all of us, right? I had a guy come up to me one time. He was 20. He said, Pastor Bob, you don't understand. I'm 20. There's all these hot girls out there. You don't understand. I'm like, you're right. I got saved in college. I was in a locker room. I was an all-American basketball player. You're right. I don't understand. I'm not a red-blooded American male. I don't understand. See, we always think temptation is weird, right? We're the only ones going through it. No, there's no temptation that's common to all of us, but God will, A, make a way of escape and give you a way to bear up under it. Look what Joseph went through in the Old Testament. He goes from a palace to a prison, and yet he's able to look at Potiphar's wife where if he engaged with her, no one would have known. He said, how can I do this against my master, Potiphar, and God? When I became a Christian in the early 80s, I walked into a Christian bookstore. It had always been in my area. I never saw it before. And I walked into this Christian bookstore, and I couldn't believe it. There were books about God and things about God. It was like the meeting place of Christians at the time, no internet. And contemporary Christian music was new. Some of you might remember this. And I went back there, and it was like rock albums by Petra and Amy Grant. And, and so I picked up a Petra album, and and there was a song, Bema Seat, and it had liner notes. And you go to Corinthians, and you would learn about the Bema Seat. It's almost how I was learning theology with church, right? By listening to music and reading liner notes. Amy Grant had a song called Wise Up. It said, you better wise up. You better think twice. Never leave room for compromise. You better wise up. You better get smart and use your head to guard your heart. It's going to get rough, better wise up. The mind is the battlefield. The mind, now the Holy Spirit will renew your mind. The Bible talks about the washing of the water of the word. The Holy Spirit will give you verses. See, we have this idea that we're in temptation. Um, it's instant, it's not. No one wakes up and says, ha, huh, I think I'll wreck my marriage today by having an affair. There's plenty of time to think, plenty of time. The battle's in the mind. And the mind can guard the heart. See, the heart is desperately wicked. The heart always makes a convert of the mind. That's why the mind has to be renewed. We need the mind of Christ. Sometimes you can work things out. I've talked to drug addicts who've been instantly cured when they came to Christ. I'm like, are you ever tempted to do drugs? They'll say, Bob, Sometimes I'm driving down neighborhoods and there's an impulse. It's a fiery dart. And then I just walk through the pattern. Once I start, I'll never stop. Sin brings forth death. I'll lose my kids. I'll lose my marriage. I'll lose my bank account. See? The problem in the church is we're, we're, we're trained to think everything's like this. Instant deliverance. Everything's instant. The Holy Spirit comes down, boom. 90% of the battle is in the mind. Uh, we'll look at this at Ardmore tonight. Remember when Peter has his great declaration? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter, flesh and blood has revealed this to you. I mean, Peter aced the test, right? They're out at Caesarea Philippi. Who do men say that I am? I mean, 
Gosh darn, this is his crowning moment, right? Head of the class. Then Jesus lays out the plan. We're going to go to Jerusalem. Son of man is going to suffer, die, be crucified. Peter said, I'll never let it happen. Guess what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. He knew the voice of the evil one. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, even when we forgive others, and lead us not into temptation. And the fourth and final truth is this. It's never going to end. Man, I wish it would. You know, I wish it was like, okay, this is your 30th anniversary. You've been a Christian for 30 years. I'll go bother somebody else. Funny thing is we see most Christian ministers fall after 30 years. Or I wish it was like you're 80, right? Give you a break. Never ends. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And the grammar is, and he can. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And, and, and here's what I want to end on. You know, we, we need not be myopic about this. Like, you don't get up every day thinking, where's the tempter? Where's the devil? Oh, my gosh, I'm in a battle. You know, you wake up every day like God's mercies are new. And, and I'm big on offense, guys. I, I'm not big on defense, right? Like, I'm not big on let's sit around and talk about our weaknesses. Let's sit around and talk about how bad the world is. I get up every day like, what can we do? How, how do we play offense today? What ground can we take for the kingdom today? I have no interest sitting around talking about how bad it is. I want to talk about how good God is and how great it can be when people know him. I want to play offense. A man who told a story, an Indian proverb, about a man who bought an entire village, but he couldn't buy the one house in the middle of the village. And so when he came and brought people on tours and said, look at my village, I own this whole thing, this man would come out with his little bony finger and say, don't let him tell you he owns this house. This is mine. It's the mentality of a lot of Christians. We're, we're holding on to the last thread. We have a scarcity mentality. When Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against us. So I'm all about offense. I'm all about building people up. I'm all about overcoming. Because here's the thing. We're playing with house money. I'm already pleasing to God. When I wake up in the morning, before I even know it, God is so pleased with me. If you're a Christian, he's pleased with you. And everything else is downhill and gravy after that. Jesus stood in your place. A great high priest. He's aware of your infirmities. He knows what you're going through. He went through the wilderness. He was hungry. The fiery darts of the enemy came. The pride of life, the lust of the flesh... He could have never sinned, but all of this, he could feel the infirmities. And the Bible says he's with us. And the Bible says if we stand in the evil day, we'll overcome. There's no temptation that's too difficult for us. The devil is on a short leash. Read the end of the book. He loses. He's doomed. You will be singing around a throne. So, you better wise up.
You better think twice. Don't leave any room for compromise. Don't give him any room for the flesh. And let your mind guard your heart. And you will see fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold.